Gilbert Midwinter meetings in St. Louis, and such a delight to be with him. They've treated me so kindly today, and I do thank them for that. You know, it's a long way out here. It is. And I am so delighted to be here. John chapter 2 and verse number 1. John chapter 2 and verse 1. And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. That's real good counsel, isn't it? And there were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. He saith unto them, Draw out now, and bear unto the governor of the feast, and they bear it. And when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was, that means he didn't know where it came from. And the Bible says in parentheses, But the servants which drew the water knew. Very bright servants they had in those days. The governor of the feast called the bridegroom and made this observation in verse 10. Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine. And when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. James chapter 1. If you would be so kind to look in that passage of scripture. James chapter 1. I will be reading beginning in verse number 13. James chapter 1 and verse 13. Let no man say when he is tempted. You know, I wish that verse said if he is tempted. It doesn't say that. It said, when a man is tempted, he should not say, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man, unfortunately, is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth that ugly little three-letter, politically incorrect word, sin. And sin, when it is finished, everyone say finished, bringeth forth death. So then the writer says, do not err, my beloved brethren. We won't take time to turn there, but if, if you just trust me that I'm quoting this verse accurately, in Romans chapter 7 and verse 13, there is, there is a phrase right in the middle of this verse that strikes me as being very unique. In Romans chapter 7 and verse 13, right in the middle, there's a phrase that says, But sin, that it might appear sin. That kind of tells me it is possible for sin to look like something else. Now, I want to minister to you young people tonight on this topic, and, and disclaimer, not because I think you're a bunch of devils, not because I think our young people in the United Pentecostal Church are hanging over the pit of hell by the slenderest of threads, and that they're all slipping out and doing all kinds of abominable wickedness. I don't believe that at all. I believe we got some of the finest young people walking shoe leather in the United Pentecostal Church. But I will tell you this, I think the devil desires you it is because I believe in your potential so much, because I believe the devil is determined to stop your witness, because I believe the devil would like to destroy your ministry that's yet years down the road, 
Because of that, I want to preach to you tonight, sin's deception. Lord Jesus, we need your spirit to accomplish its purpose here tonight. I pray your anointing would settle mightily in this house. Would you enable me as your servant, Lord, to be the oracle of God for a little while. And I pray that you'd give me for just a little bit the hearts of every young person. Every young person on the front row and the back row, would you let me have the hearts for just a little while. And by your spirit, would you do surgery on our thinking. I pray that you'd help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Now, when you introduce a topic as I did, it makes everybody a little uptight, a little nervous, especially since you don't know me. So I want to try to put you at ease a little bit by taking you on a little mental journey back to southern Illinois. Brother Johnson, where you are? Where I grew up. I, I grew up in southern Illinois. And where I did that, we, we used to do a lot of hunting. Now, for all you animal rights activists who are with us here tonight, I am so sorry. Not sorry we're here. And I'm not sorry we hunted. I'm just sorry it bothers you. We used, to, we used to be involved in a lot of bird hunting. We would hunt quail and pheasant, all kinds of game birds like that that are common in the Midwest. And, um, and, and, and to really hunt those kind of birds effectively, it, it helps greatly if you have a dog. Now, now, my father did not have a dog. He had a son. I remember when my dad bought me a, a little single-shot Daisy BB gun, told me I could go quail hunting with him. People, I want to tell you, it is real tough to drop a quail in flight with a single-shot Daisy BB gun. We were tromping out through there and kicked up some birds, and my dad pulled out his browning shotgun, and boom, and feathers flew, and, and, and bird fell into the middle of the biggest briar patch in southeastern Illinois, and I found out why I was there. So my dad looked at me. Pitch. <laughs> so I was ever so excited one year when I was about 13 that two things happened in the same year. We got a dog and dad bought me a Remington shotgun. I was so excited because I knew I had been promoted above the rank of Fido. It was great. The only misfortune in this was that my dad bought the single most insane dog that ever walked on planet Earth. This dog was absolutely crazy. He should have been locked up somewhere, except we couldn't keep him in his pen. He was wild. He was a maniac. This dog would eat anything. Understand what I'm telling you? This dog would eat anything. Table scraps, leaves that blew into his pen, small neighborhood children, anything. He, this dog systematically, I'm, I'm, I'm not lying, systematically, board by board, he ate his entire dog out. He would chew one end of the board loose and then chew the other end loose and gnaw on it until it was gone. And we figured fiber is very good for him and the nails provide iron supplements, so let him go. When he had completely devoured that house, my dad bought a 55-gallon metal barrel, cut the end out of it, and threw that in there and said, you know, sleep in that, chew on that a while. But he was crazy. You could gather together all the slop off the table, all the leftovers, and you could get in the bottom shelf of the fridge and retrieve all that stuff out of Tupperware that you can't even identify any longer, pull that all together in one pot, carry that down to that dog's pen, slop it in his bowl, and he'd just go, and then spit out the bowl. He was insane, I'm telling you, the dog would eat anything except one thing. There was only one substance on the face of the planet that we found that was beyond the bounds of that dog's dietary acceptance. And that was that heartworm pill. 
But we had to give that dog better price every three months. Dog had an excellent nose. He was a bird dog. He could smell it coming from the vet eight miles away. We'd carry that thing down to his pen, and he'd just sit there and look at you. Many is the time that three of us have tromped our way down to that pen, my cousin, my uncle, and myself, and have tried to force feed 45 pounds of, of English Pointer bird dog one heartworm pill. My uncle would grab him around the middle, and my cousin would pry his jaws open. Do you know what job that left me? I have broke that pill so far down into that dog that he had a lump out in the end of his tail out there. And as soon as I pulled my hand out of that dog, he would go <coughs> and give it right back to me. He would chew all up and down my arm and scratch at me with his front legs, and then we'd fight and claw and scratch and battle until finally we forced that thing down him. You can't believe how fast three months can go by. And it'd be time to do that all over again. Well, I begged my dad. I said, let's just skip it once. We'll never have to do it again. <laughs> I couldn't talk him into it. So I was complaining to the vet one day about this problem. I said, it just ain't worth it. I mean, I just get healed up from one time, and it's time to do it again. And he said, well, it's no problem, Scott. He said, does the dog eat? <laughs> I said, does the dog eat? He said, well, then it's very simple. He said, just go buy you some stew meat. Just go get you some, some beef like you'd make stew with little chunks of meat. And he said, take a knife and cut a little slot in the side of that meat. Slide that pill inside that thing. Throw that food meat to that dog. And he said, he'll swallow that pill. People, it works. We put that pill in there, run out to that dog. Here, boy, here, boy. And his tongue would be hanging out because he smelled food coming. And you'd sling that thing to him and he'd just boom. And he would swallow that just like that. It was the greatest thing I found in my entire childhood. Do you know what? It, that dog would willingly swallow what he otherwise hated. Why? Fancy packaging. Can I tell you that people aren't a whole lot brighter than that dog? I'll prove it to you. Let me just give me another minute. Y'all don't know what to expect, but I told you I'm preaching young people. Now, now, most of you sitting here are too young to remember this. You will find it hard to believe that what I'm about to tell you really happened. But many of the people behind you participated. Some guy got the idea back in the mid-70s, which I realized are the early 70s, early 70s, which to you I know was like just after the dinosaurs died off. I understand that. But some guy got the idea back in the early 70s that he could sell to the American public rocks. You had one, didn't you? Really? <laughs> you can always tell the guy that laughs. He had one. You wouldn't think he'd do that, but this guy got the idea that he could sell rocks to the American public if he packaged them right. He put them in a little box that had air holes in it, like you'd get from the pet store, and he sold them to the American public for 15 bucks a pop as pet rocks. Happened. And many of these people out here that otherwise look sane purchased one. Fifteen hard-earned nineteen seventy-two dollars. It'd probably be thirty bucks today for a stupid rock. Had a book with it that told you how to care for your pet. You say, how do you know? My sister bought one. It did. It told you how to teach it to do tricks. 
stay. You remember that? I look at that and it blows my mind. I said, what, why, when, when you got gravel parking lots full of them, I mean, that's like a humane society out there for pet rocks. Why would anybody go buy a rock? Clever packaging. I want you kids to hear me tonight. Satan is the world's best marketing expert. He is so good at what he does, Brother Davis, that this one, who is the very personification of evil, can present himself as an angel of light. And I'm here to tell you tonight that in the hour we're living in, the devil has taken sin, and he has packaged it so cleverly, and he has wrapped it up so well, and he has disguised it, and shellacked it, and varnished it until it looks pretty. He will never show you what the real nature of the package is until you've bought the whole thing. I, I got I to hear this. I want you to know tonight that the devil will never let you glimpse what's inside the box until you've bought the package. He has covered it over with pretty wrapping paper and put it underneath bright lights and underneath a mask of political correctness. I want you to hear this preacher tonight, apostolic young person. I don't care what the calendar says. I don't care what the world says. There are just some things that are sin and they're always going to be sin. And you better take a look at what's inside the I want to help you tonight. I want to help you tonight. I want to preach to you about sin's true nature. Sin is the great blight upon mankind that has produced all of the world's ills. The utopia of Eden was shattered on the strength of just one sin. All of mankind, without the redemptive plan of God, was eternally separated from their creator on the strength of just one sin. But the devil has tried to masquerade it. He never paints it in its true colors. He tries to get you to touch it with fancy packaging. But you hear this preacher tonight, underneath the veneer, once you open up the package, it's the same damning, black, destroying, conscience-searing, God-separating, hell-enlarging force it has always been. I want you to hear me tonight. I am here this evening. I felt commissioned by God in my motel room today to rip the mask off sin. If I could open the box, if I could tear open the lid of the package and let every young person that calls himself apostolic get one look at what's inside that mess. There's not one of you that ever backslide. There's not one of you that ever taste it. There's not one of you that ever touch it. If you knew what was inside the box. Hear what I tell you. Consider the contrast. Satan calls it a mistake. Momentary bad judgment. A sickness. A genetic defect. An alternate lifestyle. But God calls it iniquity. Transgression. Leprosy. Abomination. Uncleanness. Foolishness. 
appreciate you calling the young people tonight that you better never become so enamored with the packaging that Satan puts on sin that you forget what Scripture says. Because for all of its glitter, for all of its shine, the words of James still cry out resoundingly. No matter what it looks like, sin, when it's finished, bringeth forth death. Hear me. I don't care how much fun you think it is. I don't care how long you've gotten away with it. I don't care who else is doing it. I don't care if your parents know. I don't care if your pastor knows. I don't care who says it's okay or who doesn't say it's okay. When sin gets through with you, it will bring death. Sin brought down the strongest man that ever lived, Samson. Sin brought down the wisest man that ever lived, Solomon. Sin brought down a spiritual man like David. You know what that tells me? Honey, you aren't strong enough, you aren't smart enough, you aren't spiritual enough to play with sin and get away with it. Hear what I tell you. When sin gets done, it will bring death. Listen, you say, but it hadn't hurt me yet. I've got a lot of kids I go to school with, and it hadn't killed them yet. That's because it's not finished yet. It's just getting started, darling. But hear what I tell you. You better look inside the box before you pick up the package. Let me, let me help you. My dear wife, such a sweet lady to put up with me. She, uh, she's a dear sweet lady. She doesn't think there's anything in the world much nastier to eat than liver. Many of you are saying not only is she sweet, she's most intelligent. And, 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 and that calf liver we saw on the menu today, I, I, I kind of feel that same way. But I have to confess, I'm just an up-the-country boy that I, I don't eat them because they're real bad for you, but I, 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 do, I do enjoy chicken livers. Now, I know, I know, my wife feels that same way. My wife operates on the principle, if the chicken got rid of it, why would I want it? You know, that's how she feels. But I do enjoy them. I mean, I, oh, yes, Lord. Fry those up with some gravy and put them on top of your head and your tongue and slap your brains out trying to get to it. She was in a restaurant one night with her aunt and uncle and their family. She got up and left to go to the ladies' room by herself, which in and of itself is a miracle because ladies go in pairs. Always. She came back from the restroom, and there in the middle of her plate, perched majestically, a little battered deep fried article. And her uncle said, Michelle, you got to try this. These are the best fried mushrooms I've ever had. Now, dear children of my father, which was not a fried mushroom. It was the liver of a recently departed chicken. And my wife, who is an otherwise intelligent lady, nobody put a gun to her head, nobody twisted her arm up behind her back. She took that fork of her own volition, buried it in that mushroom, picked that thing up and took the sweetest, juiciest bite of a mushroom, you, you've ever seen and, and then nearly shared it with everyone around there. 
I asked her when she, I wasn't there. When she got home, was telling me about it, and she was gargling, you know, with Clorox and stuff, you know. She told me about it. I said, honey, why did you bite into that thing? You know you don't like chicken nibbers. Why would you do that? She said, well, I couldn't see what was inside there. And besides, he lied to me. I have been a youth pastor. I have worked on pastoral staff, and I have far too often held the hand of a precious young lady who made some drastic, tragic mistake and is trying to figure out how she's ever going to tell her parents about what's going inside of her. I have put my arm around the shoulders of young men who have made tragic errors in their walk with God, and I have said to them, why would you do that? You knew better than that. You've been taught better than that. You've been preached to better why would you touch that thing? And they have, without exception, looked at me and said, I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know what was inside it. And besides, he lied to me about the contents. So you're preaching like you're mad at us. No, I love you. And I'm tired of the devil trying to deceive our kids and convince you that you can tamper with some things out there and get away with it. Hear this preacher tonight. He won't tell you what's inside the package. Consider, consider the contrast to be found in John chapter 2. The marriage supper of the Cana, uh, the marriage feast of Cana of Galilee. Jesus is there, his mother, the disciples, and they run out of what the Bible calls wine. You can fuss from now till Jesus comes about whether or not it was wine or grape juice, for tonight it's Dr. Pepper. See, I knew these kids, I'm preaching young people, I knew that way. For tonight it's, it's DP. They ran out of Dr. Pepper. And Mary said to Jesus, she said, DP is gone. She said, he said, not my problem. She said, it is now. She said, go fill the water pots with water. They did, took the cup of water out, carried it to the governor of the feast. On the way, Jesus turned it into Dr. Pepper. Some of y'all loving this Bible story better than you've ever loved it in your life. They got there and handed the cup to the governor of the, of the feast. He tasted it. Listen to what he said, young people. He said, you know, I've been to a lot of dinner parties. I've been to a lot of marriage suppers. been to a lot of feasts. Every one of them I've ever been to works on the same principle. People put out the best they've got up front. They spread their table with the best they've got to offer. Then if people make real pigs of themselves and eat it all, then they'll go get the old leftover Cheetos out of the bottom of the pantry and put that out. But he said, every one I've ever been to, they put out the best they've got up front. But he said, I've been here all night. I mean, I've been drinking Dr. Pepper all evening, and this is the best I've had yet. Why did you save this till the end? I've never seen anybody that held the best they had till later. Now, in that simple little verse, I find the most amazing contrast between God's kingdom and Satan's kingdom. Because hear me, the devil will spread his table with the very best he's got to offer. He will put out the pleasures of sin for a season. He will spread that table with bright lights and fast times. But hear me, if you ever put your feet underneath that table and start eating, just bank on it. Tomorrow's diet won't be as good as today. And the next day is going to be worse yet. And down the road is going to be poison. Oh, but when you feast at Jesus' table, he gives you the Holy Ghost, and it's awesome. But 
next day it gets better. And the next day it gets better. And the next day it gets better. I'm here to tell you, it's a good life living for Jesus. It gets better and better and better and better. The path of the just is as a shining light that shineth brighter and brighter and brighter under the fullness of day. But you hear me tonight. That's how God works. But that's not how the devil works. The deception of sin is this. That what you think might be enticing now will degenerate into vile bondage later. Go ask the drug addict laying in cold sweats as his body goes cold turkey from a cocaine addiction, as his stomach is tied up in knots, laying there in withdrawal. Ask him if the devil ever told him that's where sin would take him the first time he took a couple of numbers on a joint of marijuana. Find the alcoholic laying in the gutter with no shoes on his feet, drinking dollar bottle rum out of a paper bag. And ask him if the devil ever told him that's what would happen to him the first time he took a sip out of a beer at a high school party. He shouldn't even be at. cancer ward and see that man with his face eaten away by cancer sticking that cigarette up to a hole in his throat, sucking that poison through the hole they cut his soap in to breathe through and ask him if Marlboro ever put that on a billboard. The devil will not advertise for you where sin will take you. Hold it. You said, but, but, but you're not where I'm at. I'm not, I'm not even tempted to go smoke. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not tempted to drink beer, not tempted to do drugs. I was there the night. Bill got the Holy Ghost. I was there the night. I was six foot four. Him fell slap back in the floor talking in tongues. I saw it. I loved it. I, I was in on team talking the Bible study, and he said, I'll get baptized. But, I, but that Holy Ghost stuff, I, I will not fall on the floor. God's so cool. <laughs> Came up on that day, pastor touching. Poof. Talking in tongues. I love it. I was there when he came in the next Wednesday night, sang a song God gave to him in the coal mine that, that week. Awesome song. I watched him sit there with his boys on the front row. I, I watched him bring his family in. I was also there the night that somebody offended him. And yes, she was wrong in what she said. But I was there when the littlest root of bitterness landed in his heart. And I was there while the devil said, you don't, have to, you don't have to listen to that pastor. He didn't do right in this thing. You just go ahead. You've got a right to be upset. In fact, if I were you, I wouldn't sit up there and amen him like you'd be doing. I'd be sitting back yonder somewhere a little bit. And I watched him as he moved his family back there. And then I watched him as he moved his family back there. And then I was there the night. He put his finger in my pastor's face and said, I'll never be back to this church again. I know where he's at tonight because he's been on the same bar stool ever since. He has been married, divorced, married, divorced, married, divorced four times. Those little boys that used to sit next to him up there, one of them is a hopeless cocaine addict at 20 years old, and the other one is in a state penitentiary on a rape charge. Well, hear this preacher. The devil did not say to him, hey, get this little bad attitude. Rebel against your pastor, and I'll take those precious boys and destroy them. I'll kill your health. I'll take your marriage. I'll take your money. The devil never told him where that attitude would take him. Hear me, young person. Don't you get that attitude against your pastor. Don't you get that bitterness in your heart. Don't let the devil get that in you. It will take you farther. 
is future bondage wrapped up in present liberty. Sin is future sickness wrapped up in present health. Sin is sorrow tomorrow wrapped up in joy today. Sin is disillusionment next week wrapped up in contentment right now. Sin is tears down the road wrapped up in laughter today. I was driving through St. Louis a while back and I saw a billboard. You, if you haven't seen this one, you've seen one much like it. It showed a very pristine northern lake, beautiful, beautiful lake with, with this gorgeous trees all around it and the sun setting in the background. How I many of it was gorgeous? Not a ripple on the water. And, and there was a campsite on the shore nearest you and, and four guys out there. And, and let's see, they don't call them hunks anymore. Uh, oh, uh, gold, they were fine. Ladies, all four of them, they were fine. That's, that's the term, if you didn't know. They were fine. I mean, they were handsome, healthy, robust. And you could tell it wasn't a real campsite because their tent wasn't falling down. It wasn't raining. They've got a raging fire going. They've got a string of trout hanging there next to it. It would take me about nine years to catch They've got some grilling over the fire, and they have a cooler over to the side, propped open full of ice and beverages, and it ain't Dr. Pepper. And blazing across the top of that billboard are the words, it doesn't get any better than this. I thought, my Lord, the devil just almost slipped up and told the truth. Because for those four guys that better bank on it, it'll never get any better than that. Because it's going to lead from that shore to alcoholism. And it's going to lead to divorce court. And it's going to lead to the hospital. And it's going to lead to drunk driving. And it's going to lead to cirrhosis of the liver. And it's going to lead to hell. Hey, that's as good as it ever gets. Oh, but I'd like to paint a sign over the church. This is as bad as it'll ever be. It's going to be brighter tomorrow, better next week, and heaven's going to be the best of all. Just understand it. This is as bad as it gets. Because you're serving him. Hear what I tell you. Hear what I tell you. Satan promises you friends, but he gives you enemies. He promises life, he gives you death. He promises bright lights, he gives you darkness. He promises peace, he gives you despair. He promises satisfaction, he gives you discontentment. He promises freedom, he gives you slavery. He promises heaven, he gives you hell. story is much warm. I'm in the right country to tell it. A cowboy. Come riding toward a river one day. I'm almost done. I just say that to give you hope. Cowboy comes riding toward a river one day. As he stops at the banks of the river, he hears a voice call to him from down beside. He looks down and there's a rattlesnake coiled up there. Hey cowboy. One of those very rare Idaho talking rattlesnakes. He said, hey, cowboy, you know, I need to get across the river, and I can't swim. Would, would, would you pick me up and take me across the river? <laughs> that cowboy looked at him and said, man, what kind of idiot you take me for? I know what you are. You're a rattlesnake. My, Lord, my pastor's preached against rattlesnakes since I was a kid. My parents have told me about the danger of rattlesnakes since I was old enough to listen to them. What kind of idiot do you think I am pick you up? 
That rattlesnake looked at him and said, Oh, cowboy, you believe in a whole lot of propaganda. We rattlesnakes have gotten a lot of bad press. See, what your pastor was talking about was a mid-1950s kind of rattlesnake. See, I'm a mid-90s yuppie kind of rattlesnake. You don't know about us. I wouldn't hurt you. Well, I don't know. You sure look and sound like them rattlesnakes he talked about. Oh, no, no, I've been modernized, sanitized, homogenized. I wouldn't hurt you. Besides, there's all kinds of churches around handling rattlesnakes nowadays. I wouldn't hurt you. Finally, after much persuasion, you see that cowboy's first problem, young people, sitting by the river talking to that snake. He reached down and picked that snake up and curled him around his saddle and started across the river. About halfway across it, spray of the water washing up over him. That rattlesnake looked at him and said, hey, cowboy, doc, I'm freezing to death. Cold-blooded animal that I am, I don't know if I'm going to make it. Would you please pick me up, put me inside your coat? He said, my Lord, no. He said, you're pushing your luck, hot dog. If I had listened to my pastor, I wouldn't be this close to you. If I had listened to the counsel of my parents, I wouldn't have even touched you. But it's one thing to touch you with my hands. God help me if you ever get close to my heart. Oh, but see, you're still believing all that stuff that, 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 that those old fogies told you about rattlesnakes. I'm sure rattlesnakes were like that back in their day, but not anymore. And finally, that guy picked that snake up, put him inside his coat. When he got across the river, when he got to the other side, when that snake got him exactly where he wanted him, when it was finished with him, he reached inside his coat to get it out. He threw that thing to the ground. And in his last moments on this earth, he said, You lied to me. You said I could trust you. You said you wouldn't hurt me. You said my pastor was wrong about you. You said you weren't that way. How could you do this to me? I gave you everything you asked for, and now I'm going to die. How could you treat me this way? That rattlesnake smiled his little malicious grin at him as he crawled off in the bushes and said, Don't look at me for sympathy, cowboy. You knew I was a rattlesnake when you first picked me up. I appreciate you tonight and tell you that there's not one Holy Ghost-filled young person in this house that ought to have to stand at the threshold of hell someday and look at the devil and say, You lied to me! You said I could trust you! You said my pastor didn't understand! You said it didn't matter! You said I could get away with it! Now look where I am! How could you do this to me? I didn't smile at you at the threshold of eternity and say, Don't look at me for sympathy, hot dog. You knew who I was when you first listened to me. I wish we could have a guest preacher for a minute. Cain, what did sin look like to you? It looked like sweet revenge upon my brother. But Cain, what was sin really once the box was torn open? It was being a vagabond wandering on the earth with a cry upon my lips. My punishment is greater than I could bear. Demas, what did sin look like? It looked like the pleasures of this world. But Demas, what was sin really? It was the torments of the next world. Judas, what did sin look like to you? It looked like the riches of silver in my hand. But 
blood was sin, really, Judas. It was the hanging juice around my neck as I plunged headlong into hell. Samson, what did sin look like to you? It looked like that foxy Philistine Delilah. My pastor told me not to date those Philistines, but what was sin, really, Samson? It was those red-hot iron bars piercing through my eyes and grinding at the more like an animal. David, what did sin look like to you? It looked like my neighbor Bathsheba. I thought I could get away with it. I thought I could cover my tracks. But David, what was sin really? Once you opened the package, David, it was the sword of the Lord falling over and over and over and over in my home. Sin murdered my baby. Sin raped my daughter. Sin killed two of my other sons. David, it's no wonder having come through that that you could write Psalm 73. You can't play the keyboard. I got the mic. Play the piano. Shoot, find the piano. You watch me. David, it's no wonder you could write Psalm 73 having come through that. But David said, you know, I know God's good to Israel. I know he blesses those from a clean heart. But as for me, he said, almost slipped. My foot just almost slipped. David, what was it that would make somebody man after God's heart? What would make your foot slip? He said, I looked and saw the prosperity of the wicked. He said, I looked at those sinner kids around me in school. And everything seemed to be going so good for them. I mean, you ought to, you ought to read Psalm 73 in its entirety and listen to the description he gives of a wicked man. It sound great. They have more than a heart could wish. She said, their eyes stand out with fatness. They've just got everything they want. She said, they're pulling up school in a Camaro, and I'm coming up in a 73 Fiat. I don't get it. He said, why, even in death their strength is firm. He said, they're not in trouble like other men, neither are they plagued like the rest of us. He's describing a sinner. This is David talking. Describing a sinner? Saying they don't have any trouble? That's deception. It's sin's deception. He went so far down this road, Brother Price. You, you, it's hard for me to picture David saying, but he, he said, you know, when I thought on this, when I pondered it, it was too painful for me. He said, I just got to the point that I said, I've washed my hands in vain. It has been utterly useless to serve God. What's it gotten me? Come to school on Monday and people are talking about what they did. Oh man, we had a party, we had a great time. Oh, what you do? I went to church. Feels so weird. I mean, they're the ones having the fun. They're the captain of the football team. She's the head of the cheerleaders. And then here am I. Feel so left out. They're having all the fun. Here I am just coming to church. Now that's how David got. And David said, when I thought to know this. It's too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of my God. And then he said, understood I their end. Not their right now. Oh, I know how the devil paints their right now. He said, I was just about ready to throw my hands up and quit. And then I came to a district youth rally. Some preacher that I've never laid eyes on before looked me eyeball to eyeball and said, it's not so. 
It's not like the devil tells you it is. It's not fun out there. It's brutal and ugly and painful and hurtful. You're living where it's blessed. David said, I was ready to hang it up till I got in the sanctuary. And then I looked at their end, and I looked at my end. I said, oh, it's worth it. Live it for God. I want to be standing. We might have preached so much longer than I intended to. Lord Jesus, I have felt your spirit here so beautifully. These are such great young people. I have such confidence in them. But I know that our adversary goes about trying to devour, and I just, I would hate for any pastor here to have to hug one of these kids in a couple of months or a couple of years and try to piece back together what might have been because they let the devil lie to them. Lord, would you open the eyes of our understanding right now that we might see what a beautiful thing it is to be in the church. Would you help us to take a look inside the package and understand that sin is ugly and sin is brutal and sin is painful and the pleasure that's with it only lasts for a season. Oh, it might look like fun, but it leads us to the hog lot. Help these young people to understand. Young people, I'm going to invite you to come pray in one second, but I want you to hear me. I got to tell you something. I got to tell you this. The devil has lied to us out of the pages of Scripture. The devil has lied to you. We've read that story about the prodigal, and he says, See, you can always come back. What the Bible does not tell us is how many skeletons are still in the hog lot. The Bible doesn't tell us how many people, how many bones of carcasses of victims. But the prodigal had to crawl over to find his way back to the Father. And I'll tell you something else he lies to us about it. I'm done with this, I promise. He tells you, well, but if you do come back, everything will be just fine. Everything will be just like it was. Robe on his back, shoes on his feet, ring on his finger, everything's just like it was. No, it's not. Because the Father said to the Son that was still at home, everything I have is yours. In other words, I'm not going to take what I've got and split it again between you two boys. Your brother spent some things in the hog lot that he can't ever have back. There are ministries that have been crucified in the hog lot. There are anointings, witnesses that have been destroyed in the hog lot. Oh, people come back. Yes, they do. And they're welcomed into the Father's house, and I thank God for it. But there's some things you will carry out of God's house that you will not bring back. Sin is deceiving. And I just feel like young people in this house, not because you're a bunch of devils, because you're God's kids and he wants to shield you from deception. I feel like young people in this house ought to come right now to this altar and put yourself on your face around this place. You need to put yourself on your knees. Come on. You need to put yourself on your knees and on your face around this altar and commit yourself to staying pure in the sight of God. I would most certainly welcome pastors and youth pastors, ministers in this house. Moms and dads, would you come pray for these kids tonight? Come on, young ladies, put yourself on your face before God tonight. We need to, we need to just come up here and really humble ourselves a little while. I wonder if pastors and 
Youth pastors, would you come lay hands on these kids tonight? Seek God. Shut around this altar tonight. 